Amen. Amen. I want to ask you to join with me in making a confession this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that the day is going to come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess heaven on earth and under the earth, and they will make this confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want to, on the count of three, I, I want you to join with me in making that confession. And as we make this confession, we're just wanting to establish some running room in the room this morning. And for those of you watching us and joining with us and streaming, wherever you may be, this, this confession is the statement of the most powerful name in the universe. There is no greater name. There is none with, no higher, with any higher authority. There is none with any farther reach. There is, this, there is this one name before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it is this statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. On the count of three, one, two, three... Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I want you to turn and face the northeast. That's generally this direction. We're aiming this at Washington, D.C. We are declaring that it is not the Republicans who are Lord. It is not the Democrats who are Lord. It is not the Supreme Court who is Lord. It is not the Houses of Congress who is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's do that again. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Amen. He doesn't have to be voted in. He's not checking the polls. He doesn't wait for the Electoral College to determine what they're going to do. He is Lord. And he will do what he chooses to do when he chooses to do it. Because he is Lord. Now I want to ask you to do one more thing. In that place in your life where there is the greatest concern, that place in your heart where you may be the most troubled, you may feel the greatest need, where it seems as if because of some things that are going on, maybe with people you love, that it's out of your control and it is almost bewildering and it remains a place of sadness. I want you just to gather up some faith in your heart. He said as small as a mustard seed, but when that mustard seed is anchored in the truth, the one most powerful truth, most eternal truth in the universe, then there is substance to that mustard seed when it is faith in the truth that Jesus Christ is your Lord. So I want, I want you to... Bundle that up, that, that place or places where there's sadness or their concern or it looks like the enemy may be trying to do what the enemy tries to do. And with that in your heart, I, I want us to say out loud, over that, speaking it over those places of our hearts, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus Christ is a close your eyes and with your heart on those places that you can't fix that are beyond your reach. But with our eyes on Jesus, even as they are physically closed, we declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, if you will make that a holy habit, when you feel these things coming at you and you notice these things happening, just go ahead and declare it into the spirit realm. Just speak it over the things that are burdens to you. 
Jesus Christ. What that means is the word Lord means master, sovereign, the one ultimately in charge. That it is not as things appear in the present. That is not the future. That is not the permanent. That which is the future is what Jesus determines to be the future. That which will, will win out is what Jesus blesses. That which may not even exist right now. The one with whom there is power to call into existence things that don't even exist yet. Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to tell you, there'll be some, there'll be some peace that'll begin to drop from your head into your heart if you will make a habit out of declaring those realities. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can be sitting in the middle of something where others are in charge of the setting and so forth. But you're just speaking that, Jesus, you are Lord here. You're Lord in my heart, and I'm believing that you are the one who can bring your rule and your reign and your love and your power and your redemption and your reconciliation and your plenty and your victory. Jesus Christ, your Lord. He assigns us, folks. He assigns us to tough places. He assigns us to places in darkness. He assigns us to places of confusion and disarray and where it seems as if no attention is being paid to the Lord. He assigns us. We get all worked up about these SEAL Team 6 snatches and intervention. You, 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 that, that's who you are. When he puts you in a place that you maybe not want to be and you feel outnumbered just by whoever's there, you are never outnumbered if Jesus Christ is your Lord. And he has us there to declare that truth, speak that to the molecules and speak that into the cells and speak that into the atmosphere. Jesus Christ. It is said that Jesus is the one who holds everything together. Every molecule owes its allegiance to Jesus. He is Lord. He's in charge. And it doesn't matter if nobody believes it. It doesn't matter if everybody mocks it. It doesn't matter. He is still Lord. And he will still be Lord when the greatest mockers and critics and cynics are all dead. Right? Amen. I don't know where all that's coming from, but I just felt like I needed to go with it this morning. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, one other maybe unusual thing in the service this morning, I want to invite someone to lead us in prayer this morning. To lead us in prayer. And as he prays for us, I, I want us to be aware of not only what he prays for, but what he doesn't pray for. His name is Saul of Tarsus, who came to be known as Paul the Apostles to the Gentile, Apostle to the Gentile. There is a prayer that he prays for the church or churches because mainly they were house churches. They didn't have buildings to meet in in the first century. But he wrote a prayer to them, a couple of them, as a matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians. I don't want to let Paul lead us in prayer this morning. You know, if, you, if, you, if you could just imagine that, that the Apostle Paul, the writer in a human sense of two-thirds of your New Testament, could somehow come back from glory and stand in our midst and step up behind a microphone and pray for us as a church, wouldn't that be something? Well, what if the reason miraculously, supernaturally, that you and I still have a record of Paul's prayer 
in the book of Ephesians and indeed the whole New Testament is because the Lord wanted us to hear how the early apostles would pray, how the early leaders of the church would pray. Remember, there were no printing presses. There was no digitized communication. It was just handwritten letters, and Paul wrote this from prison. So how in the world, except that God wanted it to be preserved, did this letter make it even out of the first century, into the second century, in the third century A.D., there was all kinds of national capital punishment that was put upon Christians. The Christians themselves were, were killed and their properties taken and everything Everything connected with Christianity would be destroyed. And then down through all the centuries when, when some leader would emerge and there would be by then printed copies of the Bible where there would just be a determination, whether it be China or, or Russia, to, to burn all the Bibles and kill all the Christians. Somehow God kept it. God preserved it so, so that we have Bibles in our laps this morning and Many of us will have several of them in our homes. That's no small thing. That's a major thing that, that the Lord would preserve those writings over 2,000 years ago, the most recent ones of them, so that we would have them to look at and to read again. I'm telling you, folks, God is wanting to speak to our hearts through what he put in Paul's heart to pray for this church at Ephesus. Now, let me, let me read this. So you, you follow along, and we're going to assume that the Apostle Paul himself has been invited this morning to pray for Alamo City and for the, the extended Alamo City family around the world. Here's how he begins in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. For this reason I too having heard of the faith and the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And all the people said, Amen, Paul. Amen. I want to take you back to verse 17, please. As he begins his prayer, the requests are simple and brief. He elaborates upon what he is believing the Lord to do as he states who the Lord is and what the Lord's heart is for the church. But the requests are very short. The requests are briefer. He's pre-praised that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you remember Alamo City family and friends all these last months that we've been focused on one theme? And the one theme is, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. We've said that there are two prayers that can change everything in a person's life. The first one is, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, pull me up and out and get me on a, put me on a solid footing. His name, Jesus, means rescuer, means savior. We're not asking him to be something he's never been before. We're just asking him, Lord, do what your name says you do. He is named for what he does. And it's not just that we need his saving us, rescuing us from our sins at the the point of initially receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord and knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're free, knowing that the devil no longer owns us by virtue of our more allegiance to him through the way we behave than our allegiance to God. We've been set free. Jesus has saved us from our sins through our faith in what he did for us on the cross. But oh my goodness, folks, how how many more times since those early days have we needed the Lord to rescue us? Do I have a witness? But I don't know why it is. Sometimes as Christians, the older we get in the Lord without a proper understanding of how the Lord intended everything to function, that somehow we think because now we know the Bible or we've read the Bible and we've got some marked up, parts of it marked up, we we know the songs of the church mainly, we have Christian friends, that somehow we're, we're just supposed to to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves, and and that we don't really need to look back to the Lord because He knows that we've gotten ourselves into these messes and and that He expects us to deliver ourselves. When That's not the truth at all. He he gives us instructions, and, and, and He will say, this is the way to walk in. You stay in that path, and you'll stay out of trouble. But there are other times in many situations in life because the devil is real, And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, Lord, I need you who have overcome the world to help me when the devil is on my tail, when the devil has deceived me, or when things are going on around me that are unkind and cruel and hard and difficult and confusing. I need you, Jesus, one more time on this Tuesday morning. I need you, Jesus, to save me. I'm not talking about from hell. I'm talking about from the jaws of that liar two deaths over. I'm talking about the one who cheats. I'm talking about whatever the thing may be. Jesus, save me. I'm going to tell you, folks, you, you go to work not feeling like an orphan. You'll go to work and you'll enter your family situations and settings as Christmas comes upon us, not feeling like you're by yourself and then that you don't have any defense. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no other name like that name. You're calling upon the greatest name, the most powerful name, the one with all authority, and he hears your voice when you cry. Yes, he does. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, save me. Amen. That's one of the prayers, but the other one is, Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. I need more than just the standard of how you lived your life. I I need for it to be more than what would Jesus do. Well, I know what Jesus would do. That's the problem. I can't do what Jesus would do. Unless you fill me with your spirit. Unless your spirit, who is called the comforter, who is called the helper, The spirit of the invisible Jesus comes to live and take up residence and pulse with his muscular strength in my chest. 
in my will, in my emotions, in my mind. Jesus, fill me. I want you to listen, please. I'm just talking about a, a truth here that's only good for, for folks who are so old, they're getting ready to die, and they don't know where fun is. So maybe those old people can get filled. Or somebody you know, so, so young in the Lord that they haven't really matured to the point of, of, of really being able to discipline themselves and make themselves do better and straighten things out. If that's how you write all of this talk about being filled with the Spirit off, as if that's just relegated for a few, that's relegated to some who, who, who don't really have many more options, then you've missed the point of the entire New Testament. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins so that we would be cleansed. The Holy Spirit of Jesus has been given so that you would be filled with power to live like him and to live for him. It's not just for a few preachers here and there. It's not just for Mother Teresa. It's not just for somebody so old that they didn't get around except with a walker. <laughs> it's you, sir. Are you struggling? Are there places you wish you could be better and do more and be different? But you've even looked at the scripture and said, here's what I know I need to do, but the willing is in me, but the present activity to be able to do that just isn't in me. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I'm telling you, Paul, right here in Ephesians, before there was ever a printing press, before there was ever a digitized version of the Bible, he's saying to these Ephesian Christians, if you are ever going to know the full measure of the love of God for you, the role in your life of his being the father to you, it will be a direct function of the spirit of the father being poured into your heart. And as a result of that, the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light. The truth is there, but you can't see it. The truth of his love for you is there, but you can't get it. The truth of his faithfulness, the truth of his compassion, the truth of his loyalty to you is there, but you won't be able to get it, receive it, appropriate it, live with the blessing of it until he fills you, until he pours out upon you his spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of him. And you say, Pastor, why are you getting so wound up about that? Well, thank you for asking that question. One of the main reasons is because in our culture, in our season, in the destiny that we have to live at this point in time, the name Father, the term Father, has fallen on very hard times. Nobody can be born without a biological father. Many, 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 many families and children in those families have had to grow up, are growing up, with the absence of an accurate, God-centered father figure in the home. So when this is brought up, God is your heavenly father. God loves you as a father. When you hadn't had an earthly father visible, involved, present. Or maybe if you had a father, it was a difficult relationship. You, you never knew where you measured up or if you did at all. Paul will say to this group of Gentiles, now folks, listen, the Gentiles were the ones like, like us, not natural-born Jewish people. These were ones who came to Christ out of all sorts of, and we haven't used the word pagan backgrounds. Ephesus was the center of a, of a very prominent um, worship of a, of a pagan god, a false god. 
And there were all kinds of family configurations in the culture in Ephesus at that point in time. But he's saying to them, you need to know that you have a father. You need to know that your father loves you. You need to know that it is because of the Father's heart for you that Jesus came in the first place. But you'll never know the love of the Father. You'll never know that about him unless he fills you, unless he gives to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. No matter how great your father may have been, because not all fathers have been, have, have been mistakes. Not all fathers have been wrong. Many in this room are here this morning because you want your children and your grandchildren, you want your wife to, to recognize that there is at least a significant part of your heart that is turned toward God. Good for you. Bless you. That's right. But, but even with the best of the earthly fathers, there are going to be limitations. There are going to be lacks. There are going to be times of failure. There are going to be times of disappointment. For instance, the heavenly father can't answer all the questions. Doesn't know where every child should be and should pursue. The earthly father is to be a representative of the heavenly father. But the heavenly father is the only one who can fully and completely satisfy the longing of a child's heart for a father. It doesn't matter how long you've been out of the house. It doesn't matter how long a man has been a father of children. There is built into the core of who a human is to desire to have a relationship with a father. The last Verse in the Old Testament, the last section in the Old Testament says that before the great day of the Lord, there will be a turning of the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children towards their fathers. It, it, it's built in to humanity like the law of gravity is built into physics. It is built into you. It is built into me to want a relationship with our Father. The ultimate and best expression of that Father is the one we speak of as our Heavenly Father. Now, I want to suggest to you that we need to perhaps consider reworking that name because we think of Heavenly Father in the sense that We'll see him when we get to heaven, and he's engaged in the things in heaven. We've got an earthly father, and to some degree, they're involved in the physical aspects of our lives, this time of our lives, this season of our lives, our earthly father. But the Lord never intended for us to see a separation between the two. Your heavenly father, who is your real father, desires to be involved in the minutia of your life. That the things that you choose, the things that you want, the things that you fear, the things that you wish, all of those things your real father is concerned about. Paul will say, and he's speaking for the voice of the Spirit, this is the Spirit of God saying these things through Paul as he wrote them down. You need the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of Him so that you may, as he talks about, you may know what is the hope of His calling. He's called you to be His own. He's called you to be His son. He's called you to be His daughter. And you hadn't been called to a father who doesn't have any money. You haven't been called to a father who has no authority. You've not been called and brought into a family and seated in a home that has no recognition and has no place of prominence in the universe. 
You need the eyes of your heart flooded with light that though there may be some seasons now in this life where lack is great and plenty seems like a pipe dream, the truth of the matter is everything you see right now is temporary. The things that aren't seen are permanent. And God has said he's called you as his own child. He's called you as his own son or daughter. You belong to him. You're not a pauper. You're a child of the king. You have a place at the father's table. And he loves you. You're there because he loves you. And I can say that and I can holler that and I can stomp my foot. And maybe while we're in here, that makes some kind of a rev us up a little bit. But this isn't the point. It's Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock when that flood of difficult emails has just flooded your inbox. Or you've got some family get together or some, something that's happened on toward the end of the week. And Sunday's a long way back in the rearview mirror. But what if what Paul's talking about here is that the Father desires for you to know freshly, powerfully, warmly his love for you Tuesday when you're dealing with that bank of tough emails or Thursday night or Friday night or Saturday night when you've got to look into the faces of those that have that look of disappointment on their faces when they think of you. Have that look of all right when they think of you. And the image of ourselves can be deflated, can be trashed by these other voices and these others. That's what Paul is saying. There is an understanding of the heart of the Father for you that only he can give you as he fills you with his spirit. But as he fills you with his spirit, he will give you that. I want to show you one. This is in Galatians chapter 4. If you're in Ephesians chapter 1, just turn a few pages or so to the left. I'm going to read this again. There are two places in the New Testament where Paul uses this phrase. And it's, it's a very interesting phrase. It's a striking phrase. It's one you've got to back up and then, what, what, Paul, what are you saying? Verse 4, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem rescue those who were under the law, the law that would speak of what sin is, and violating the law would be sin, and the consequences would be deadly, those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, that's a term meaning great endearment, close attachment, Similarity to the heart of the Father and the likeness of the Father in this word for son. This word is always used in reference to Jesus. There's another Greek word, techna or technon, that speaks of children, offspring. It's never used in reference of Jesus, of referencing Jesus to the Father. It's always this huios word, huios. But here he's saying that in order that we might redeem, he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as huios, not as technon. That, that somehow, some way in the work that Jesus is doing for us and has done for us on the cross and continues to do as he lives for us and we live in the victory of his life, we are increasing and being brought into the likeness of the Father. So we're not just a an offspring over here, this other word, this higher word that's used, the same word that's used to describe Jesus before the Father is applied to you and is applied to me. The adoption as sons. We'll, we'll deal with that at another time. And then it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, a daughter. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
here's, here's how massive this is. Starting from the beginning of our day to, to the end of our day. This, it's, a, it's, it's a present active tense verb. Continuously. Non-stop. The work of the Spirit in our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. As I mentioned last week, describing the picture of the little girl in Jerusalem seeing her daddy off in the distance. Who knows how she had gotten off and gotten loose in the big crowd, but when she saw that man and she began to cry out, Abba, Father, he came to her, she came to them, came to him. It, it was as if there was just a default position of affection in her heart for him, of trust in her heart for him. Because she knew that if she ever could get Abba into her presence and up close, there would be kindness coming from Abba. There would be tenderness coming from Abba. There would be protection coming from Abba. The love of Abba, she had been affected by, and so her response back was, Abba, Abba, and she was running to him. As he came to her, she was running to him. Folks, listen, do you see how vital that is in the Lord maintaining a kind of relationship with us that draws us closer to him rather than driving us farther away from him? The, the, the devil sits on a fence post, and he watches, and he sees the places where we're prone to fall, where we're vulnerable, our, the, 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 the sins that, that, um, that, that, that we can fall into without a whole lot of difficulty, and he'll do whatever he can to try to suck us right back into that place. And then he whispers, well, you've blown it. You've messed up. God's mad at you. You, you, you can't, you don't need to go, just, you just, you, you trash, you, 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 you did some trash, so you need to hang out with trashy people. They won't condemn you. They'll just, they'll be nice to you. But if you go back this other way, you're just going to be hit with condemnation. You're going to be hit with judgment. Satan knows how to tell you a lie such that it sounds just like the truth. It will feel like the truth. But the truth of God's word is that the heart of your father, the heart of your real father, is this. Go back to Exodus 34. Moses being spoken to by the Lord on Mount Sinai. Exodus 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the clouds and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. This is the Lord talking. Get, get, make sure that's separated in your thinking. This isn't Moses describing the Lord. This is the Lord describing himself. Stating the things that he most wanted Moses to know so that Moses would convey these truths, these Adjectives that describe God to the people. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Remember I suggested that there's another synonym for that word truth, that would be consistent with the meaning of the word in Hebrew, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, abounding in loving kindness and loyalty. He's not going to start liking somebody better than you and throw you under the bus is the way we might say that. He's overflowing in lovingly kind acts, lovingly kind predispositions, toward his children, and loyalty. One of the greatest griefs and sorrows that a child can ever face is all of a sudden daddy's gone. Where's daddy? And mom can't tell. She doesn't know. She doesn't know why. Right through all of that, if you've been abandoned by an earthly father, 
your heavenly father, your true father says to you, I am faithful. I am loyal. You will not find me a fickled lover of you. I love you. I'm committed to you. I understand that you're not perfect. I understand that there'll be mistakes and sins that you'll commit. But it's not me becoming something I'm not. When you cry out for compassion, that's who I am. That's what I love to give. I'm gracious. That means he's not just paying debts. He's not just paying what is earned. To be abundantly gracious means that you have a heart to give to folks what they don't deserve in a kind way. Now, folks, I understand that all I'm saying up here is in some ways a waste of time unless the Spirit of God himself doesn't fall on you and work in my heart and convince us that what the Scripture says is true. We can know it up here, but living out of it down here, where our, we, we make choices based upon the fact that I no longer am an orphan. I no longer am a loser. I no longer am a piece of trash because my Father has set his love upon me. He's called me unto himself. We need to run back to the New Testament quickly, but go with me to John chapter 1. What about this being a child of God, being a son or a daughter? How does that happen? How do you move from being a creation of God to being a child of God? How do you move from the place of just being a product of God's creation into being one whom he privileges with all of the rights and blessings of an adopted child, a wanted child? John chapter 1, verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, through Jesus. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, to the Jewish people. And those who were his own did not receive him. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. But to as many as received him, received Jesus, received Jesus. You mean just a fact in history, just that, yeah, Jesus lived? No, 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 no. He didn't come. He wasn't born just to be a footnote in history. John, when he saw him, he looked at Jesus coming down the road toward the place of baptizing the Jordan River, and he said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have you received Jesus as the one, the only one, who has saved you, rescued you, from your sin. But to as many as received him. Well, I don't understand that. I don't understand. I don't get that. Well, okay, that's understandable. Because unless the Lord by his spirit shows that to you, just saying a few words is not necessarily at all what this has been talked about. 
This means to receive Jesus as the one you have been convinced of. Went to the cross, stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, died as the blood left him, and he was dying in your place. In my place. He died for the sins of the world, but he died for us one at a time. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of God when he shows that to somebody and convinces you that Jesus Christ is absolutely who he claimed to be, who took your sins in his body and he went to the tree, the cross, to die in your place, in my place. When that drops 18 inches and blows up in my heart and in your heart, it comes to be the sense of never having been loved like that. It, it, it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just something that happened a long time. It is, it's as real as a pew you're sitting on. It's as real as the boots you got on your feet. It's as real as the air that you feel the temperature of around you. You've been persuaded. You've been convinced that everything said about Jesus is true about Jesus, and you receive him. You may still be dating Jesus. May still be dating Jesus, going out with him occasionally, but never married to him. This is all about the same imagery that would use, be used of a groom choosing a bride and the bride choosing the groom, and they're choosing each other and committed to each other. They're done dating. This is it. But oh my goodness. When that happens, it is an easy thing to receive Jesus. It's not that you're coming to a mad God, an angry God. You're coming to one who has won you with his love. Listen, if, if when the Lord, when it came time for God to win the human race, he didn't send a reincarnation of Moses, the lawgiver. He sent Jesus who said as he spoke to the, to the religiously elite, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish but would have everlasting life. The father who set in motion the plan to rescue you, the father who sent his spirit to knock on the door of our hearts before we ever had come to know him, but he was in the process of winning us. That father, that father did what he did from a heart of compassion, from a heart of grace, and from a heart of unending loving kindness because he loves you and he wants you and he desires to win you. Yes. And he desires to be involved. The minute by minute, the day to day, the big, the little matters in our lives. And so when it says that he has put, sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He could have used a past tense. He could have used a tense called the perfect tense, which means that he did something way back here in past time, and the result of that is going to be felt as real in the current. That's not what he used. It was the present tense. It's the idea that the Lord desires for us to know and to sense his loving presence Second by second, situation by situation, day by day, such that the cry of our heart, not, from, not toward one that we're scared to death of, though we respect him, though we honor him, though his name is above every other name, but, but lost is this sense of the terrifying, un, unsettled, always cowering in fear attitude toward God. Jesus would say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, what were little children doing when they saw Jesus? 
climbing all over him. He was the first century jungle gym, yanking on the beard, no telling what they were putting in his hair. And when the disciples were trying to say, basically, you deserve to be treated with more respect, he said, don't, don't, you, don't, don't, don't hinder the children. Because unless somebody gets like they are, they'll never see the kingdom. Meaning, draw near to me. Draw near to me. Draw near to me. We've got to say one more time, David, David the king, David who started out great, but David who reached a season in his life, we called it the dark night of the soul, where he ended up taking another man's wife and murdering the man to try to cover his tracks. But he's the one who wrote Psalm 103, whether it was before or after Psalm 51, we don't know. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's Exodus 34, repeated by David hundreds of years later. It had been taught him. It had been ingrained into his, into his soul, into his conscience. Speaking of the Lord, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, who reverence him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Because that was planted in David's heart when he blew it, when he sinned beyond recognition in a sense, who would recognize David guilty of these crimes? But because of what he understood the heart of his father to be. Listen how he wrote. He came back to the Lord because this is what he was determined, had been taught, and he was convinced it was true of the heart of the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I done and have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and you're blameless when you judge. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If David had been convinced that because of what he had done and admitted to, he would be met with immediate judgment and immediate retribution. David's return to the Lord may have taken a long, long time. But when he came to his senses, and he realized that he had walked away from God. God hadn't walked away from him. That if he would return to the Lord, the Lord's heart was the same as it was before he left. The compassion of the Lord, the one who chose David and put him in those places of influence and leadership, the one who loved him and defended him and gave him power to fight Goliath and stand against Saul for all those years, that the heart of God for him hadn't changed. He was the one who had changed. But when he saw that and he turned back to the Lord, casting himself upon what his hope was that his God would still be. He was met with mercy. 
He was met with forgiveness and compassion and graciousness. Yes, there were things because of what he had done and sown bad seed. The harvest would come in in years to come. But, but he knew, it was settled in his heart that the Lord had forgiven him. And the Lord had welcomed him back. Is there anybody listening to me this morning that needs to know that that's true? The devil sits on a sits on a, a fence post. You're trash. Because of what you did, you're trash. You can't be trusted. This is how your whole life is going to be. So just just come on over here with all the rest of the ones who are living the way they're living with no look in God's direction. He knows how to lie to you. The enemy knows how to bait you. The enemy knows who to have ring your phone. And he's a liar. And he lies because he wants to destroy you. He lies because he doesn't want good for you. But your father, if you've received Christ as your Savior and Lord... And your heavenly Father's love for you is unchanged. Come home. Come home. Come home. It's supper time. Yeah, I don't know if y'all have lived long enough to hear that old gospel song. Come home, come home. It's supper time. In Mississippi, where I grew up, and where in the deep south where Sammy and Tex grew up, it we we we. Supper was supper. Dinner was lunch. But we got some or another, we got it all mixed up. I can't even sing those songs anymore, I don't guess. But come home, come home. It's supper time. The Lord, the Lord welcomes, He invites His children. For those, for those who may have never left home, but you struggle with where you stack up before your father. Don't forget this. Satan can quote the scripture better than you can. The devil knows the Bible. Just because somebody can quote the Bible doesn't mean they know the Lord or know Jesus. And the enemy can cause us to be condemned even if we're in church every week. We never quite measure up that the Lord's still a little mad at us, still a little ticked. We still, he's still got the bar up. You, you, you have to, you have to, you have to take those emotions that cause you to back away from the Lord and weigh them in the light of what the Word of God says is the heart of God. And when he says that about a, the compassion of a father and a little child and knowing that we're framed, that our, our frames are delicate, that's the truth. You see again, I'll finish with this. You see why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every second of every day? If the Spirit of the Son crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father, is the Spirit who is going to give us the ability to know the Father's heart for us, but without that Spirit, His Spirit working in us, we, we could be aloof from, we could be uncertain of, we could not be sure of the Father's heart for us. But when the Spirit of Jesus, His Spirit is crying out in your heart, Abba, Father, it's coming from a place of knowing His compassion and rejoicing in His grace and thankful for His mercy and not worried about Him leaving you and going after somebody else or being so disappointed He just gives up on you. The Spirit of His Son within our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. Instead of you trying to teach yourself a new way of thinking like that, memorizing some more verses and trying to work down these bad thoughts, I think I just guess you do this. Just start praying, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. So this, you, the spirit of the Son, will be crying out through my heart, Abba, Father.
pray to be filled with the Spirit. Where these places are shortages and lacks and not clear, for the child of God, that's where the helper needs to help. It's where the comforter needs to comfort. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord, until I am convinced of the truth about your heart toward me. Now, you all are looking back at me like, I don't know, Pastor. I'm going to just tell you, you're looking at me like that because you hadn't tried what I just told you. Pray that way. You think, well, I ought to know that. I ought to know that. Again, that's not the problem. The problem is many times it's not our lack of knowledge. The problem is our, our, the ability for that to translate into reality. In fact, that can even make it worse. I know what I'm supposed to think, but I'm not doing it. Therefore, I feel condemned because I'm not. Help or help me. Help her help me. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for the time together. Thank you for the warmth and life of your spirit working in our hearts. Fill us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us so that it will be, it'll be something that just rises up in our hearts without us even having to plan it or look and quote the verse. It just begins to happen. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.